Praise the Lord. Oh, Father, we thank you, Lord. Praise the mighty name of Jesus. We had a wonderful day yesterday, um, praying for America. Um, you know, certainly, John and myself and many members of this church have a tremendous love for America and um, American people. Um, you know, as a little boy growing up in Killarney, there was always busloads of Americans around the place. My mom ran a hotel in Killarney, and so my youngest memories have been, um, you know, seeing crowds of, of American people coming in and finding their roots. And, uh, uh, you know, particularly back in the 70s and 80s when there wasn't a whole lot going on in this nation, uh, you know, financially, you know, it certainly was a tremendous blessing to us down in Kerry in the kingdom. And, um, you know, there is a beautiful connection between Ireland and the States when you think of how many, Mer how many Irish people, you know, found refuge in America and found a new life. And um, so it was, it was beautiful, uh, you know, to be able to give something back, however small, in, in, in terms of prayer, because certainly so many men and women of God have come from America to, to, to bless this nation with the word of God. And there is no greater blessing that you can bring to a nation and to a people than God's word, amen. So uh, praise Jesus, it was, it was really wonderful and we just uh, believe for great things in that, in that wonderful nation, amen. Um, I just wanna pray right now for uh, Brother Ebony King, my dear friend, Pastor Ebony. Um, he, he lost his sister um, a, a couple of days ago and um, so we just pray comfort over Ebony and his family, Lord, at this time of loss and we just pray that you would bring your comfort and your peace in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for all those who have been bereaved during this season. Lord, that you would bring comfort to them, Lord God. Comfort and hope, Lord God. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Praise God. So I'm, I'm really excited to um, uh, be talking today about true faith and true fire. I, I do hope to, I, I hope to be doing more than talking. I hope to preach in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. So I'm, I'm wearing my green, my green shoes. I bring them out once a year. <laughs> Kind of one of those impulse purchases, but um, they're, they're, <laughs> my, my wife is laughing. She knows. Um, and um, so, you know, decided to wear a little bit of green today. And um, so, glory to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. And we ask that Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we open our hearts and we say, speak, for we are listening. Amen. So, true faith and true fire. And I want to start by reading Hebrews chapter 11 and verse uh, 33. Praise the Lord. And it says, <clears throat> Who true faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Guys, you're going to have to turn them down. Um, okay. Who true faith, who true faith, who true faith. And, you know, Hebrews chapter 11 is an amazing uh, chapter because it talks about the heroes of faith. But again, it's, it's so important for us to grasp that it was true faith. Amen. And so the title of the message is True Faith and True Fire. I want to retell uh, a story today. You know, the Irish have a very rich history of storytelling. And, um, you know, you study uh, historically. Um, 
you know, the, the, the Irish people, uh, you know, sto storytelling was such a large part of our culture. And um, unusually, this, this story is actually true. And um, even though it reads more like a Hollywood script than history, and, and yet it is, it's, it's the history of our nation. You could say, this is the story of the people of Ireland, because certainly it's a story that has shaped and defined us. It's the story of one man who heard the voice of God and who true faith brought the fire of God to this nation. And um, you know, as Brenda just recounted, it was the story of one man and one message. You know, Patrick was very, very um, uh, singular in his focus in bringing the message of the gospel to this nation. And, you know, what God can do with one man or, and, or one woman uh, who has one message. Amen. So it's an, a, a very inspiring story of courage and conviction and uh, of selfless devotion and faith. Because uh, it was one man who dared to stand against the powers of darkness that had been entrenched in our nation uh, for centuries and, and even for thousands of years. And, you know, we, we rightfully celebrate the Great Awakenings in America. Yesterday we were praying for a third Great Awakening. And um, amazing things happened in, the, in that nation. We celebrate the Great Awakenings in America. And, uh, you know, the revivals that happened there are in Wales or in the Hebrides in Scotland or in Northern Ireland. But you know what? When you think about it, we, we must not forget that this nation was miraculously converted by the faith of one man who dared to answer the call of God. Amen? Let, let me read this quote. And it says, I am Patrick, the ignorant sinner, and I declare a bishop in Ireland, a position I believe I was appointed by God himself. I am a stranger and an exile living among barbarians and pagans because God cares for them. Isn't that beautiful? And, you know, 1,500 years later, the, the love that Patrick had for the Irish people comes across. You know, he doesn't try and, um, uh, you, you know, dress it up in any manner. He acknowledges, yes, these people are barbarians, they're pagans, they're wild people, but you know what? God loves them. And we mustn't forget that, amen, that God loves the Irish people in Jesus' name, in spite of our dysfunction. It's like somebody once said, the Irish put the fun back in dysfunction. But it's a fact, and many of us that are Irish, we grew up in, in uh, you know, we grew up around a lot of dysfunction, you know, alcoholism and all sorts of issues and whatever. But, you know, in the midst of all that, God loves the people of this nation, amen. Um, I'm not trying to say he loves us any more than anybody else, but, you know, he loves us and we must we must maintain that perspective because clearly in spite of the paganism and wickedness and and certainly a, a, a lack of sophistication of the Irish clearly Patrick had a great love for our people and it comes across in his writings you know he had to go through great trials to reach us but I thank God that he did I thank God that he persisted we see in Hebrews chapter 11 some of the members of heaven's hall of fame. Ordinary men and women who true their faith were able to accomplish extraordinary deeds. And this is what I love. They were ordinary people who did extraordinary deeds. True faith. Who true faith. Hebrews 11 verse 33. 
And uh, one thing we realize when we read Hebrews chapter 11 is that you can't overcome uh, without faith. Amen? And, and so, on, uh, and, and, and this is the thing we see is when you read Hebrews 11 um, and, and you, you consider many of the lives that are represented in that chapter, you realize that, you know what, uh, things didn't go that easily for many of them. They, they had challenges, they had trials, but you know what, notwithstanding that, they overcame because you see, you can't overcome by faith unless you're first willing to go through the fire. He, uh, Psalm 23, verse 3, Yea, though I walk through the... Um, uh, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. That's not what it says. That's Psalm 91. Um, uh, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Amen? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil if you're with me. You're riding your staff, they comfort me. And so, that's Psalm 23, verse 3. Sometimes you will go through the fire on the way to your destiny. Because sometimes the pathway to life's, to life's purpose leads you straight through the fires of affliction. Now, all of us prefer when God takes the scenic route, but sometimes God takes you straight through. It's like Winston Churchill once said, if you're going through hell, keep going. Amen. And that's good advice. And so anyway, sometimes you have to go through the fire. And, um, but this is what we see in the lives of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to compromise their faith, and they were therefore thrown into a fiery furnace. But this is where they encountered Christ, because he is the fourth man in the fire. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 15. Um, I, I love this story. And... Um, Hallelujah. And I believe it's a true story. But because they wouldn't compromise, uh, the king threatened them and he said, um, uh, I, I think it was the Bible series did, um, you know, they did different Bible stories, but they had this one. And you had thousands and thousands of people. And you had this big idol and suddenly this music played and everybody bowed down and suddenly you just saw three people standing. And, and they just stood out because everybody else was on the ground. But these three men were standing. Why? Because they were convicted. They were deeply convicted. And the, the king, who was obviously uh, not used to having anybody uh, contradict or defy him, was in, in a rage. And so he speaks to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego here in verse uh, 15. And he said, now if you're ready at the, at the time, uh, go, when you hear the sound of the uh, horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music... Um, and you fall down and worship the image which I've made, good. But if you do not worship, you will be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? You know, Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Amen? The Bible says the fear of man is a snare in the book of Proverbs. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. God wants us to have boldness. And I believe there is a new boldness God wants to give his people in this season. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The, the people who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Amen? When we have a, a relationship with him, and this is what I'm, I, I encourage every person in this season, press in. Press in deeper to know the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. And you're going to have courage. You're going to have strength. You're going to have peace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Hallelujah. Their mind was already made up. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. You see, they weren't the first to be threatened and clearly they wouldn't be the last. 
But you know what? There is something about a man or woman of God who has set their face like Jesus, who have set their face like Flint, and they made that decision. Hallelujah. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Hallelujah. And this is the case, oh God. Um, and if this is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver you, to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O King. But if not, hallelujah, but if not, I'd love to preach that sermon. It's a very famous sermon that, uh, probably one of my most famous sermons I ever, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., and it's a very simple sermon, but if not, and it's only about 20 minutes, 25 minutes, and, and you know, that man was able to say more in 20 minutes than, than most of us could say in three hours, but you know, the sermon was, but if not, hallelujah, can you, can you sense the emphatic nature that they spoke? They didn't have to, you know, try and negotiate or try and, you know, placate the king. They just simply put it, but if not, hallelujah, just like my little girl Naomi, when she was about, uh, she was barely old enough to speak, and um, she, she was so much fun. But I remember uh, one day, I, I don't know what I was trying to get her to do, but she looked at me with those big brown eyes, and she said, no. Not. She said it in two different ways in case I didn't understand. She was barely two years of age. I mean, the kid could barely walk. But she looked at me with defiance and she said, no, not. Hallelujah. You know, just so. Um, anyway, moving swiftly on from, from that. But in the same way, they said, but if not. You know what, if God comes in, great. If God delivers me, great. But you know what, if not, we have made that decision. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Thank you, Jesus. And um, so, anyway, then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. They said, we're not going to bow you down. We're not going to worship your image. And Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. And the expression of his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than was usually heated. They threw them in just for the sake of time. And... Um, you know, then verse 24, then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste, saying to his, corner, to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? He answered and said, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Because when you take a stand, hallelujah, for God, when you stand for God, he will stand for you. Glory to Jesus. Jesus, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. They didn't meet the king of kings when they were standing before Nebuchadnezzar. They didn't meet him when everybody else was bowing. They didn't meet him when the king was threatening to throw them in the fire. But when they were thrown into the fire, that is when they encountered Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. It's beautiful. I love this. It says the form of the fourth is like the son of God. And Nebuchadnezzar said, bring them out. And um, they gathered together, they saw that um, these men on whose bodies the fire had no power to harm. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of the fire was not on them. You see, God can bring you out of things. You're not even going to have the smell of it on you in Jesus' name. He can so deliver you from what the enemy had a hold on you. It might have been pornography, or it might have been drugs, or alcohol, or addiction, or all sorts of failure. Maybe you've failed morally in the past. I don't know but the God the God we serve can bring you out so completely so fully that people would never even imagine that you were once back there 
I look at some of the people in this church and you know they were involved in crime and gangland and all sorts of other issues but you know what God brought them out because we serve a God who is able to deliver anybody that will call on him for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved glory to Jesus that word sozo means whole delivered well strong healed in Jesus name praise God forevermore Nebuchadnezzar uh, said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because he sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, in him and have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve or worship any god except their god. Therefore he made a decree that any people, nation, or language who speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces and their houses will be made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Hallelujah. You see, God can bring you out of the fire and he will promote you. He will bless you. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. We worship you, Lord. Hallelujah. So anyway, I believe this story illustrates how all true faith will ultimately be tested through the fire. And we see this in the life of Joseph. Uh, he, he went through faith and through fire on the way to his purpose. He was on the way to the palace, but you know what? Before he got to the palace, he had to go through the pit. He had to go through Potiphar's house, and he had to go through the prison. Glory to God. So again, you know, sometimes God... You know, it doesn't bring us the way we might choose ourselves. But Psalm 105, verse 16, it says, um, <clears throat> Moreover, he called for a famine in the land and destroyed the provision of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. <laughs> Just because you're sent doesn't mean that you're going to be traveling first class. Amen. Sometimes God brings us down a route that we don't even realize that God is leading us. Amen. But it says he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. He hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The word of the Lord tested him. That word tested in the Hebrew means to saraf. It means to fuse metal. It means to refine. Uh, it means to cast, refiner, founder, goldsmith, melt, uh, pure, purge, away, or try. So again, you can't do that without heat. Amen? So again, it's, it's, it's like welding. It's like purifying metal. Um, until the time that the word came to pass, the word Lord tested him. You know, another version says, they humbled his feet in fetters. The iron pierced his soul. That's the Dewey Rames Bible. And another version says, they have inflicted him with feathers, his feet. Iron entered into his soul. Hallelujah. So it seems that at times God allows testing of some kind to purify our faith and to prepare our hearts. And so back to Patrick, the patron and, and national apostle, patron saint and national apostle of Ireland, who ironically um, was British, 
Here's a summary of his story. We have two of Patrick's writings um, which remain with us to this day. His autobiographical confessions and his letter to Crocodus. Um, the letter to Crocodus was a denunciation of uh, British pirates who were enslaving Irish Christians. Ironically, um, or incidentally, this is probably one of the first, um, our, our earliest records uh, of criticism of slavery in all of human history. Um, because again, uh, slavery back then was, was normalized. It was part of, of daily life. And, and certainly, the oldest manuscripts um, that Ireland has today are Patrick's writings. He came here in the year 432. Well, um, he was actually brought here. And um, Irish pirates regularly um, raided coastal villages in Western Britain, taking plunder and enslaving uh, the local inhabitants, uh, you know, because they no longer enjoyed the protection of the Roman army because uh, Rome had uh, fallen in the year 395 AD. And in one of those raids, Patrick, who was the son of uh, Calpornius, um, a Christian uh, Roman official uh, and, and, and deacon, was taken captive. His father was a deacon and his grandfather was a minister and they lived in a Welsh town referred to as Banavem Tabernier. It's interesting to note that Tertullian, who was a North African apologist, wrote around 200 AD that in all the parts of Spain among the diverse nations of the Gauls, in regions of the Britain beyond Roman sway, but subjected to Christ, the name of Christ now reigns. So we see that apparently Britain was quite Christian at this stage, but the wild Irish hadn't yet been reached with the gospel. Rather, instead, they were a barbaric Celtic people who lived in a pagan land where death cast its dark shadow. You know, the Romans referred to Ireland as Hibernia, the land of perpetual winter. Julius Caesar was the first to use the term Hibernia. It's literally Latin for um, winterland. That's where we get the word hibernation. Um, You know, many of you right now probably uh, feel the temptation, uh, you know, with all the lockdown to just pray, Lord, help me just go to sleep for three months and hopefully it'll be all over when I wake up. But... um, Anyway, they, they referred to it as, as uh, a winterland. And um, so the, uh, the Irish were, uh, not a lot has changed since then, but the Irish were ruled by mystic druids and their dark brand of pagan religion. It's interesting to note that Halloween originated in Ireland, Ihasawan, the night when the souls of the dead were literally meant to walk through the land and you could either treat them or trick them. So many people would leave out food to appease the spirits. They would wear masks so the spirits wouldn't um, uh, recognize them. Um, There's also a connection to the, uh, to a, you know, the Roman uh, celebration where they would, um, people would uh, eat apples because it was to do with bringing in the harvest. You know, interestingly, as a little boy, my mother used to hang apples from the light shade and we used to try and eat them without touching them with our hands. Uh, uh, there would be uh, a bowl of water with an apple floating in it. You'd have to be, you know, try and see if you could eat the apple and it was floating around the water. All of these games, but you know, a lot of these things went back thousands of years. And so, you know, a lot of that kind of Celtic um, uh, 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 
traditions were still with us even though we didn't necessarily understand where they came from. But back to Patrick, you know, for a sophisticated Roman to be taken captive by Irish barbarians was a fate worse than death. Patrick was taken captive to Northern Ireland where for the next six years he would serve in the mountains as a lonely shepherd. Um, uh, Incidentally, the Irish were... um, very much a cattle-based society, a bit like the Maasai in um, East Africa. And um, so uh, cattle were, were, were very much, um, uh, you know, there was a degree of credibility or, you know, even uh, pigs and horses were valued. But um, sheep, it was very much the bottom of the barrel. You know, if you were a shepherd, that was the lowest of the low. I think that's interesting to to note that, that he was made uh, to work as a shepherd. And so for the next six years, he he worked um, and he would battle hunger, thirst, and weariness as he was exposed to the harsh Irish elements. And it was a miracle he didn't die, but God kept him because God had a plan. His owner was a Druid um, named Miliuk who put him to every kind of servitude and heavy labor. So Patrick, during this time, began to seek the Lord, even though his parents were were Christians, his family were Christians, he was not. He had just been going through the motions, so to speak. But during this time of suffering, he began to seek the Lord. He repented of his spiritual neglect and he began to pray and to worship God. Let me read this quote. Um, And again, this is from the confession. This is Patrick's writings. It's a connection that brings us back over 1,500 years. And he says this, more and more the love of God and the fear of him grew in me. And my faith was increased and my spirit enlivened so much that I prayed up to a hundred times in a day and almost as often at night. I even remained in the wood and the mountain to pray. And come hail, rain, or snow, I was up before dawn to pray, and I sensed no evil nor spiritual laziness within. At 22, he heard the voice of God telling him to fast because he would soon be returning to the land of his fathers. Again, the voice told him, Behold, your ship is prepared. Now the ship was 200 miles away on the other side of Ireland, and you know the, the uh, fate of an escaped um, a slave was death. Yet by faith he left and miraculously he found a ship about to depart. It was a ship taking wolfhounds to the uh, European continent. Um, Initially they rejected him but he prayed and they changed their mind and uh, by God's grace he eventually made it back to Great Britain and um, his family made him promise that he would never leave them uh, again quite understandably. But you know what? God had a different plan uh, for Patrick and um, So, uh, you know, his family made him promise, don't ever leave us. But, you know, God had a plan for him to come to Ireland with the gospel. He was called to be an apostle of faith and fire to this nation. Um, uh, And, you know, incidentally, there are some in the prophetic who refer to Ireland as fireland. And I believe it's a declaration of the, the, um, maybe uh, partly our past history, but also our destiny. I believe Ireland is meant to be a nation that takes the fire to the nations in Jesus' name. So, hallelujah. Patrick describes how God subsequently visited him. I saw a man whose name was uh, Victorious coming as if from Ireland with innumerable letters. And he gave me one of them. And I read the beginning of the letter, the voice of the Irish, Vox Hibernia in Latin, the voice of the Irish. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 
Praise God. You know, uh, just before Christmas, we, we, we started Christian Voice Ireland. And I believe it's part of God's prophetic timing to release, you know, the, the voice of the Irish, the voice of God through the Irish, the voice of God to the Irish in Jesus' name. I believe it. I believe there's something supernatural about this wet, wet damp little Ireland. Amen. God has a purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. And we've been fighting for our destiny and for our, our, our because you know what? there have been those who have a vested interest in trying to portray uh, this nation and brainwashing the people into this, of this nation into embracing all sorts of liberal and godless worldviews that are not part of who God has called us to be in Jesus' name. This is why this message is so important. But you know what? God visited Patrick, the voice of the Irish, and as I was reading the beginning of the letter, it seemed at that moment that I heard the voice of those who were beside the forest of Falkloth, which is near the western sea, and they were crying as if with one voice, we beg you, holy youth, that you shall come and shall walk among us. And I was stung intensely in my heart so that I could read no more, and thus I awoke. Thanks be to God, because after so many years, the Lord bestowed on them according to their cry. So here Patrick hears the voice of the Irish, the voice of those who do not know the living God, the voice of those who are bound by superstition and paganism and all sorts of lies. You know, he, he suddenly Patrick has this burden for the people who had oppressed him and enslaved him. And yet, this is the beauty of the gospel is that we are a sent people in Jesus' name. So Patrick, it says, he was stung in the heart from that moment Patrick had a burden. Patrick was determined to obey God, even if it looked like a suicide mission, because again, it would be the equivalent of somebody today, uh, you know, getting a burden to go to Afghanistan or, 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 or parts of the Islamic world to preach the gospel, to start churches. You know, it seemed like it was a suicide mission, because bear in mind, the penalty for an escaped slave was death. And he, he's, let me read another quote. It says, the, and the Lord took put pity on me thousands upon thousands of times, for he saw that within me I was prepared, but that I was ignorant of what to do in view of my situation, because many were trying to prevent this mission. They were talking among themselves behind my back, saying, why is this fellow throwing himself into danger among enemies who know not God? And this is the thing. Many times when you have a burden from God, there will be other well-meaning people who will try to talk you out of it and who will not understand it because they don't have that same burden. And this is why I believe this is a day where we need more than, than people, you know, we need men and women in the ministry who, to whom it is a career, not, not just a career, but to whom it is a calling. Men and women that are anointed by God, not just qualified to preach, but called to preach. Amen? And so, this is important. You know, uh, Patrick was anointed, but people don't understand him. They say, what, did, what is this guy doing? You know, endangering his life, going among those who know not God. So, it seemed like some Christians in Britain valued their own safety and comfort over the souls of the Irish. And sadly, it seems like not much has changed in Christian circles. Where are the men and women today who are risking all to reach out to those who are lost in sin. But you see, Patrick wasn't swayed by people's fears or prejudice or negative opinions. He obstinately refused 
to be ruled by fear. And we must walk by faith, not by fear, in Jesus' name. Amen? And the great irony is this, is that the one who was once enslaved is now sent back to free those who once enslaved him. Amen? He was sent to Ireland with a message of freedom through Christ. And because Patrick was sent twice to Ireland, once against his will, and the second time because he laid aside his will to do God's will, he humbly answered the call. And I thank God that he did. And again, I read, I, Patrick, the sinner, the most um, unscholarly and the least of all the faithful, and a man despicable in the eyes of many, I was like a stone lying in the deep mud. And he that is mighty came and in his mercy lifted me up and set me on top of the wall. I ought to cry aloud that I may render thanks to the Lord for his great blessing. I am an ambassador for Christ and this is my confession before I die. Hallelujah. Patrick had that understanding that he was an ambassador of Christ. And so too, we are representatives of God. John 1 and 6 says, there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all through him, uh, so that through him, everyone might believe. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. You see, there is nothing more powerful or more dangerous to the kingdom of darkness than a man or a woman who is completely surrender to the will of God because transformation only occurs on the other side of surrender. Transformation only happens on the other side of surrender. And you see, because many Christians have never come to the place of surrender, therefore we never see transformation in our society. Because all we're doing is offering to people, you know, rules and regulations, you know, where they can find through any other religion. If you serve Jesus, then serve him. But you will not serve him unless you're surrendered to him. Maybe this is the reason why we're not seeing transformation in our society is because we haven't truly surrendered. Because when I see Christians still arguing over the ABCs of faith, arguing over whether we should tithe or not, you have to ask yourself, how seriously are we taking this message? How seriously are we taking the Great Commission? That's why I've been pushing and, and, and you know, doing everything I can to ensure that the churches are reopened because I know people have an eternal soul and unless they hear the gospel, they're going to die and going to hell. And if that doesn't exercise you, if that doesn't concern you, that doesn't trouble you, there's something severely deficient in your faith. You see, Paul the Apostle, his walk with God started with surrender. He said, Lord, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Paul came, you know, Paul's walk with Christ and miracle ministry began with a complete and utter surrender of his life to Jesus Christ. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Not what can you do for me? And this is the problem. Some people preach the gospel from the perspective of perks rather than from the perspective of complete and utter surrender to the one who surrendered all for you. That's why we have to be balanced. Have we perverted the gospel message by our emphasis on just say a little prayer and God will wave his magic wand and everything in your life will change? Yeah, 
yes, God will change you, but you know what? We don't come to, to God for what he can do for us. Don't, don't just emphasize, say this little prayer while neglecting and ignoring the importance of total surrender and submission of your life to the will of God. People who say, just pray and God will fix everything. Maybe we need to adjust our approach and say, if you're ready to suffer, if you're willing to respond to the sacred call of God uh, on your life and lay down your life and your opinion and lay down and die, then come forward. You see, it took great courage and conviction to go back to the very place where he had lost six years of his life as a slave. In this story, we see that Patrick first, he was tested. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, your faith will be tested in the fire to see if it is fireproof. This isn't optional, rather, this is a necessity. You know, Matthew 7, 25, when the rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against that house, it didn't fall because it found it on the rock. You see, both houses or both lives encountered the trials of life. David faced Goliath. Daniel, the lion's den. Joseph was thrown in a pit. Jeremiah into a muddy cistern. Nehemiah was mocked and accused. The disciples were beaten and eventually murdered. So what makes you think that you won't be tested? 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. One of the problems I have with some people in the faith movement is they never acknowledge struggle. They never acknowledge trials. They never acknowledge that sometimes you're going to go through some stuff. And then people get discouraged and they wonder, you know, you said everything was going to go perfectly. Well, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you've got to slog your way through some trials and tribulations, but God will bring you out the other side through faith. The truth is, the fact that we don't experience more persecution may be an indication that we're not doing this right. It is inescapable, whether you like it or not. The tests and the trials of life come to us all. Christ made this clear in John 16, 33. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Amen? When he said, in this world you'll have tribulation, he meant it. Patrick was tested during those cold, lonely nights as a, as a slave. And as he traveled through Ireland as a missionary, many times facing the threat of violence or being enslaved again. And he acknowledges that in his writings. You see, every child of God faces tests of some kind. I appreciate as people of faith, we don't like to acknowledge this. Many times we blame the devil for everything. I was laughing, my wife, my wife was talking to me the last day. I can't remember what it was, but... Um, uh, oh yeah, testing the sound. She, she, kept, she was telling me, we're driving into church last Sunday. John, you need to test the sound. They've made some change. I was like, yeah, 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 sure. You know, any, anybody who's been married for more than five years has automatically knows to tune out his wife. Um, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not proud of it, but sometimes I do. But anyway, she said it to me again on the way, and I said, yeah, 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 sure. She, she said it to me inside here. We got in. I said, yeah, I don't know. Do I, I go into, the, into the, um, one of the rooms to prepare my heart and to pray and to, you know, get my heart right. And Well, I stand up, and suddenly I'm talking, and there's nothing happening with the sound. And I remember <laughs> my wife was looking up at me, 
How many of you know, as a, as a husband and wife, you can have a complete conversation without saying a word? I, I mean, I, I knew everything she was saying to me right there. And, um, I, you know, I'm standing up here saying, I rebuke you, devil, in the name of Jesus. And she said afterwards, you didn't need to rebuke the devil, John. It wasn't the devil. You just didn't do a sound check. My wife would be slightly more practical than me. So what's the lesson? Listen to your wife. Um, <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> See, sometimes they're blaming the devil. Sometimes you're the biggest devil you're going to face, okay? So, you know. Um, but, but many times, like I said, we blame the devil. But I, I truly believe that some Christians keep going through tests because they keep failing the ones that went before. And how many of you know when you fail a test, what you have to do? You repeat it. Some of you are repeating tests. You say, I rebuke you, devil. But you know what? You keep failing the test. Amen? So I wonder, have you passed the faithfulness test? The faithfulness to your wife test. And listen, to some of you who are single, God won't give you a wife because you're a porn addict. What father would give his daughter to a man like that? You're nasty. You need to repent and deal with that sin in Jesus' name. Okay? How about the faithfulness to your church test? You know, everybody wants a title, but nobody wants to serve. Our faithfulness to your call test. Listen, you can't keep jumping from one thing to the other. Some people, they'll, they'll stick at something for a week or a month, and next thing they're on to the next, and then they wonder why there's no fruit in their life. You see, we're not preaching the full gospel unless we acknowledge that we'll go through times of testing. Life is a battle, and it's one that Christ has won for us, but it doesn't mean that you won't have to face some fights along the way. Some of you say, why has this storm gone on for so long? Well, maybe it's because you're stupid. Or maybe it's because God is preparing you for something that is bigger than what you can see right now. Psalm 105 says, the iron entered into his soul. You know, that expression comes from a phrase in the Latin Vulgate in, in the Bible, um, ferum per transit animanum ejus. And uh, it literally means his person entered the, into the iron. Wow, isn't that powerful that his person entered in? You know, Joseph was in chains, but his person entered into the iron. Uh, another version, his soul came into the iron. Or his soul passed through the iron. And, um, uh, but I like this version. It says, the iron passed through his soul. And just like steel, Patrick went through a tempering process. And he's, you see, steel isn't any good unless it's tempered because it's fragile. It, it, it can shatter. But when it's been tempered, it, it, it's able to bend. It's able to, you know, uh, it, it's much stronger. And so Patrick, his soul went through a tempering process, just like Joseph. And his time as a slave, you know, uh, the very thing that was meant to destroy him actually helped to prepare him to fulfill his destiny. And so he had time, free from distractions, to seek God and to learn the language, to study the people and the culture at close um, proximity. And, you know, the, the, the very people he was called to, to serve, um, uh, you know, he... he God gave him the opportunity to learn, and he became toughened by the test, okay? And 2 Timothy 2.3 says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Oh, pastor, it's so hard getting up early because I'm on a team, and I have to be in before everybody else. And 
That's okay. You're being toughened. Toughen up. Man up, amen? And so he was hardened by the trials he endured, but because he persisted, he came through his time of trial with God's stamp of approval. And sadly, I believe the cemeteries are full of talented people, people who are called, people who had potential, but people who ultimately accomplished nothing because they never pressed in to, to attain God's stamp of approval on their lives. And thus, they walked away from their wife. They walked away from their calling. They walked away from what God wanted to do in their life because it was too painful. Come on, toughen up. In Jesus' name. May I ask you, will, will you come through this time of COVID with a greater knowledge of God and his word or rather with just a Netflix degree in moronology? I don't know if that's a word, but the word moron comes from the Greek. Okay? And it's true. Psalm 106, verse 15. He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. He gave them their... God can give you what you want. If you keep, sometimes you can keep banging on a door so long, God will let you walk through that door, but you don't realize that there's destruction at the other side of that thing. He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. For 20 years, I worked a full-time job with five young kids. I longed to study and to pray, amen? But the only way I could do it was by rising at 4 or 5 a.m. That's what I did for many years. Joanna will tell you. I, I was only talking to, her, talking to her on the way in the car, you know. And uh, I was saying, sometimes I think the two of us operate in two time zones. We're two very different people, but it's a lot of fun. Makes it very interesting. But, but you know what? I'm a believer where there's a will, there's a way. And where there's not, there's an excuse. You see, you do what you have to do so that you can do what you want to do. Okay? Patrick was tested. Secondly, Patrick trusted. I got to be quick. Patrick trusted. Daniel trusted God so much that he was willing to be thrown into a lion's den. He trusted God even though he was forced to serve pagan kings in a foreign land. Yet he declared in Daniel 2.21 that it's God who changes the times and the seasons. Just like Paul in Philippians 4.11, where he said he had learned to become content in tough places by trusting God. And in the same way, if you're in a tough place today, remember that if God brought you to it, then he will bring you through it in Jesus' name. Psalm 31 and 15, but I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies and those who pursue me. You see, when you trust God, you won't get offended even if things are not going your way. Moses trusted God, even though it meant walking away from a position of power and prestige in the palace. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, 24, 29, I'm not going to go there, choosing affliction. Amen? Choosing affliction rather than the passing pleasures of sin. Amen? The pleasures of sin for a season. Yes, sin can be pleasurable for a season, but it always delivers the same result, which is death. But you know what? He chose to forego that, to answer the call of God. Psalm 56 and verse 3, David said, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. There will be times when all you can do is trust. Trust God that the storm will cease, that the sky will clear, that the giant will fall. And this is what Patrick did. I'm sure it didn't make sense to him as he lay there shivering in the mountain snow as a slave knowing that nobody cared if he lived or died. He didn't realize that God had a plan. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans are good and not for evil to give you hope in the future. 
I often think of Patrick on weekends like this, where it's cold and it's wet and there's sleet and there's snow. And I think, and I'm driving along my car with the heating on, and I'm thinking, God, how did he manage sitting out under that in the cold and the snow and the rain on the side of a mountain? I mean, how did he survive God's grace? You see, Job 13, 15 says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Revelation 3.10, hold fast that which you have that no man take your crown. You see, we must hold fast to the promises of God and trust them in spite of what we see or feel. I don't believe in God's promises because I've always seen them manifested in my life. I believe them because I find them in God's word and I know that he is faithful. You know, back in 2008, in the earlier years of our church, you know, we were in the recession. Every week we were believing for enough money to try and pay the rent. And I had a little cabinet outside um, in the hallway with an open Bible on Mark chapter 11. And I had a little sign in front of it saying, recession-proof promises. At times I was tempted to close that book. At times I was tempted to take away that sign when it looked like we were in free fall financially. One time I rang my solicitor um, and, and, and I said, you know, what are we going to do? We can't pay the bills and he spoke to an accountant who was there with him right there he came back and he started screaming down the phone close it down close it down but you know what when you know something has been born of God I just couldn't do it I just couldn't walk away and we just continued to stand like the Bible says after having done all to stand stand therefore we decided to stand listen sometimes you stand in the sunshine and sometimes you stand in the storm And we stood, and one Sunday, one offering came in that cleared all of our debts. Glory to Jesus forevermore. And we are here today. To this day, we don't even know who gave it. All I know is we were so grateful. Hallelujah. God is faithful. Amen. What's born of God overcomes the world. So I trusted God, and I kept turning up, and by God's grace, he supplied the need. Thank you, Jesus. David, uh, we're talking about Patrick. You know, Patrick was tested, Patrick trusted, and lastly, give me five, six minutes and I'm finished. Patrick triumphed. It's St. Patrick's Day. I have my green shoes on, so you have to give me another five minutes to finish. Let me read this. And of course, there is a vision of the night. I saw a man, uh, he's talking there about uh, victorious, uh, coming with the letters, and he said, Thanks be, God, be to God that after so many years, the Lord bestowed on them according to their cry. And another night, God knows, I know not, whether besides me most, more words which I heard and could not understand, except at the end of the speech, it was represented thus. He who gave his life for you, he it is who speaks within you. And thus I awoke joyful. 1,500 years later, that still speaks to me. He who gave his life to you is he that speaks to you. And in the same way, I believe that as a pastor, the decisions I'm making, you know, prayerfully, I'm prayerfully proceeding, but there are things God has put in my heart, and I know that it's he who died for me. And therefore, I'm not concerned about what people think about me. I'm not worried about whether or not I get defriended. I'm going to obey what God, by the Spirit of God, has put in my heart to do. And you see, Patrick not only was tested, amen, Patrick not only trusted, but Patrick triumphed. Patrick heard the voice of the Irish, Vox Hibernia, and he was haunted by the vision that he had been given. And because he heard the voice of the Irish, the Irish heard the voice of God. 
True, his willing servant, Patrick, just like the song we just sang there, here I am, send me. Like Paul who declared in Acts 26, 19, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. And so too, Patrick went in the power of God and the inevitable confrontation with the powers of darkness wasn't long in coming. It came on Easter Sunday, or sorry, on the eve of Easter as he lit the fire. Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Patrick came with a bold message. He was one man with one message, and he came with a message that was about to break the stranglehold that Satan had held over this nation for centuries. Jeremiah 29 and verse 9. But if I say I will not mention his word nor speak any more in his name, his word was in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up by my bones. I was weary of holding it back. Indeed, I cannot. Patrick was in a place where he had that divine unction and he said, you know what? I can't hold it back. I know right now I'm, I'm speaking to a camera and it's online and I meant to do a 20-minute sermon. I can't do it. If I'm going to preach, I'm going to preach. Even if I'm preaching to myself. Patrick had a fire in his bones. He had a fire in his bones. And he went to a hill adjacent to Tara, which was the seat of the high kings of Ireland. And on on the night before Easter, he lit a bonfire. Thank you, Jesus. All fires near the hill of Tara were forbidden under the pain of death. The only fire allowed was reserved for the pagan rituals of the Druids. The king, King Laguira, said this, Who is that that has dared to commit this crime in my kingdom? He must die. He sent several men, including Druids, and apparently Patrick summoned God's power to raise one of the Druids high up in the air, and on releasing him, he fell and crushed his skull on the rocks. The next day, Patrick walks into the king's banquet hall and the druids confront him. Uh, Apparently, the druids were able to conjure snow waist deep, but Patrick made it disappear. The druids conjured fog, which covered the land, but he made it go also. Finally, Patrick set the druids ablaze, and the king was enraged. Some of you saying, these are are fairy tales. Well, you know, I believe the power, you know, spiritual power is real, whether for for good or for evil. And, um, you know, Patrick had obviously taken off his gloves, he'd taken the gloves off, but you know what? Uh, Patrick wasn't playing games because he had been sent to reach the nation and there's something about God when he starts to move you better not get in his way you know we see Ananias and Sapphira they were Christians they loved God but you know what they got in the way of the move of God and they were steamrolled we need to have humility when it comes to the things of God and and this is why I pray for our government that they will repent and that they will understand that you know what There is such a thing as putting yourself into a dangerous predicament when you are placing yourself between God and the people who desire to worship him. So again, uh, let's pray for our government in Jesus' name. Let's continue to pray for them. But I appreciate this may not be politically correct and some may dismiss it as a silly folktale, but the truth is that Patrick must have had a great anointing upon his life to reach this nation because along with great courage, you know, he, he was willing to come to a land as dark and as dangerous as Ireland. You know, the Celts were a warring race of people. 
Even the Romans didn't bother with Ireland. You know, the Celts in Scotland were so troublesome that they built Hadrian's Wall to keep them out. The whole Ninth Legion disappeared when they marched up to conquer Scotland, Caledonia, the Celtic tribes in Scotland. They, they marched up there, a whole legion, 6,000 men, and they were never seen again. They just disappeared. So again, Ireland was converted to Christianity because there was one man willing to walk through faith and through fire and who valued the souls of the Irish above his own life. Patrick triumphed because he was willing to do what no one else was willing to do. And he was willing to go where no one else was willing to go. And again, I read, how wonderful that here in Ireland, a people who have never had any knowledge of God, who until now have worshipped idols and impure things, have recently become a people of the Lord and are now called the children of God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you. You know, there's the story of King Angus, nearly finished. In the year 445, Patrick was passing through Ossery in the middle of Ireland. He had converted a great number of people, and he was entering the kingdom of Munster. And he was in Cashel, the seat of the king. Angus the king came to him with reverence and asked to be baptized. You know, if, if you had the ability to set people on fire, they'd probably treat you with respect as well. But um, Patrick carried a crozier, which was symbolic of his apostolic authority, at the end of which was an iron spike, which he drove firmly into the ground while preaching. However, when baptizing Angus in the river, he drove it through the king's foot, who said nothing. Patrick didn't realize until it was over when the king came out and his foot was, had a hole in it and was pumping blood. And um, King Angus um, responded, he thought it was part of the ceremony. You know what I like about that story? These were tough men and they were willing to pay a price to serve Jesus Christ. And so this is why you look at the movies like The Lord of the Rings. Why were they such a success? Because along with action and adventure, the characters in the story were willing to face danger and fight for what they believed to be good and true. There's a very famous line about there is some good in this world and it's worth fighting for. And I think we as Christians have to come to that place where we recognize, you know what, that the Judeo-Christian values upon which our society have been built are worth fighting for. The sanctity of life is worth fighting for. The sanctity of marriage is worth fighting for. The sanctity and the holiness of God's name is worth fighting for. That's why we don't take his name in vain. Again, as Christians, we need to come to that place where, where uh, let me say, this you know the time has come for us to lay aside this weak effeminate Christianity this is a day for balls not man buns okay I'm tired of, of weak you know ministers who refuse to stand up for anything you say it's wisdom it's cowardice you're a coward Our God needs bold men and women who are convicted and are willing to stand for some things. Martin Luther in, in the, the Reformation said, my conscience is held captive by the word of God. If the ministers aren't even convicted, why should we be surprised that the people aren't? Breaks my heart. Patrick triumphed not just because the power of God working through his life, but because he had a great love for the Irish people. 
Faithful in heart and uncomplainingly, I serve this people to whom the charity of Christ consigns me for the rest of my life, if I be worthy, that with humble heart and truthful lips, I teach it in the faith and measure of the Holy Trinity. He not only triumphed over pagan religion of the land, he triumphed over dead Christian religion. Jesus didn't die to give you religion, he died to give you life. It's interesting that Patrick's writings don't mention praying to statues, saints, or Mary. It doesn't mention indulgences, or lighting candles, or purgatory, or prayers to the dead. But he does quote many Bible verses in the confession, including Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Jeremiah, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Matthew, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, Titus, Peter, Timothy, and Revelation, among others. He was a man of the word. Clearly was a Patrick was a man of the word, but he was also a man of prayer. This famous prayer is called the breastplate of Patrick. It's a warrior's prayer. It's the prayer of a bold man of action who is willing to walk through faith and through fire to set the captives of darkness free. It was the prayer of a man who went with God and needed God's divine protection because he was bringing light into some dark and dangerous places. Let me read this prayer. I arise today through the mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the treeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. I arise today through the strength of Christ's birth with his baptism, through the strength of his crucifixion with his burial, through the strength of his resurrection and his ascension, through the strength of his descent for the judgment of doom. I arise today through the strength of the love of cherubim, in the obedience of angels, in the service of archangels, in the hope of resurrection to meet with reward, in the prayers of patriarchs, in the predictions of prophets, in the preaching of apostles, in the faith of confessors, in the innocence of holy virgins, in the deeds of righteous men. I arise today through the strength of heaven, the light of the sun, the radiance of the moon, the splendor of fire, the speed of lightning, the swiftness of wind, the depth of the sea, the stability of the earth, the firmness of rock. I rise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me from snares of devils, from temptations of vices, from everyone who wishes me ill, afar and near. I summon today all these powers between me and those evils against cruel and merciless power that may oppose my body and soul, against incantations of evil prophets, against black laws of pagandom against false laws of heretics, against craft of idolatry, against spells of witches and smiths and wizards, against every knowledge that corrupts man's body and soul. Christ to shield me today against poison, against burning, against drowning, against wounding, so that there come to me an abundance of reward. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right hand, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I rise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. I rise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, true belief in the treeness, true confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. Glory, glory to Jesus, glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Patrick was not playing games. Is it any surprise, therefore, that he reached this people who are bound by paganism and hedonism and darkness and devils? 
Very little is known of Patrick's death other than the fact that he died on the 17th of March, forever immortalized around the world as Patrick's Day. But think of the impact that he had on this nation that 1,500 years later, we still remember this man. So when you see the parades, the costumes, the floats, and unfortunately the beer, the drunkenness, the fighting and the foolishness, all that occurs on that day, know that underneath all of that, there is buried the story of a courageous, God-fearing man who answered the call of God and who through faith and through fire won an entire nation to Jesus Christ. Does the worship group come forward? Subsequent to this, Ireland became known as the land of saints and scholars. And as the barbarian hordes were ransacking Europe, as the lights of civilization were being extinguished all through the continent, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ was shining brightly through this land. After Rome's fall, the Germanic tribes invaded much of Europe, burning libraries and monasteries as they went. The very finest Celtic artwork was involved, you know, uh, was, was this... You know, much, much of the libraries, like I said, were destroyed and they, to the point that the word of God was on, in danger of all but disappearing from Europe. At that time, while that was happening through Europe, Irish monks were busy copying and studying the scriptures. You know, the beautiful book of Kells that we have in Trinity College is a notable example of, uh, of this beautiful Celtic artwork, you know, that... that uh, some of the most beautiful, uh, I believe, manuscripts were created by these Celtic artisans. Um, but the monks also made small copies of the scriptures for use by ordinary believers and traveling teachers and missionaries. You see, because of their knowledge of God and of Christ and of the gospel, the Irish people became known as the people of the book. They became known as the people of the book. And it became the leading nation for sending missionaries all through Europe. This is our legacy. And we're taking it back. We're taking it back. This is who we are. It's in our DNA. It's not in our DNA to slaughter unborn babies. It's not in our DNA to embrace perversion and hedonism and all sorts of pagan beliefs. It's in our DNA. To worship the king of heaven. Because 1500 years ago, there was a man willing to come through faith and through fire and proclaim a message that changed this nation forevermore. One man and one message. You know, just because there are Irish politicians and members of the media who have a fascination with liberal ideas and ideals does not mean that that is who we are. There is a call upon this nation. Ireland became a lighthouse in a very dark night. Men and women gave their lives to take this, this message, to study and copy the scriptures. And it was from Ireland that men and women would go forth with this message to the nations of Europe and ultimately the world. And the Irish would take the gospel and start monasteries all through uh, Great Britain and, and through Europe. Irish monks went 
to start these monasteries where people would come to study the scriptures and seek God and be prepared to be missionaries. Ironically, a land that had previously been in gross darkness and sin was crucial to the re-evangelism, re-evangelization of Europe, forever to be immortalized as the land of saints and scholars. That, my friends, is the story of Ireland. That is our story. That is our story. And I don't care where you came from, whether you were born in this nation or not. Your feet are standing on this island because God has a purpose. He has a purpose. You are here by God's sovereign design. He has a purpose. This nation once blazed with the glory of God and it will do so again. And so today, Lord, we lift up this nation to you in Jesus' name. We lift up this nation, Lord God. We lift up this nation, Lord God. And we pray, Lord God, let the light of the gospel, let the light of the gospel burn through this nation. Let the light of the gospel burn through this land, Lord. Father God, it was once known as a land of saints and scholars. Let it be known again as a nation that shines the light through the darkness, Lord. Let the glory of God cover this nation, I pray, in Jesus' name. And I thank you for all of the nations and all of the peoples and all of the colors that have come to this island, Lord God. You have a purpose. You have a purpose, Lord God, that is bigger than what they may see the same way as you had a purpose for Patrick. He didn't see it at the time, but you had a purpose. You had a purpose, Lord. And I thank you, Lord. Let your purpose come to pass for this nation in the name of Jesus. Let the glory of God shine through this land. Let the glory of God awaken the people of this nation to Jesus Christ. Awaken to righteousness. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. I pray that God will arise in this nation of Ireland and that we're going to come out of this lockdown. We're going to come out of this in the name of Jesus. We're going to come out of it, Lord. And we're going to come out with the freedom, with the anointing. We're going to come out with the fire. The fire of God is going to burn through this land. The fire of God is going to burn through this land. Men and women are going to go from this island to take the gospel, to take the gospel to the nations once again. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Father. Let your glory be seen in this land. Let your glory be seen in this land. Let your glory be seen in this land in the name of Jesus. Come on. I want you to pray right now for Ireland. We were praying yesterday for America, but I'm right now, I want you to lift your voice in prayer for this nation. Let this nation, let this nation come back to God. Let righteousness once again be established in this land. Just as, as Elijah rebuilt the altar of the Lord, let us in prayer rebuild the altars. Rebuild the altars that have been broken down. The altars of holiness the altars of purity, the altars of truth, the altar of honor, whereby we give honor to the living God. We thank you for the prayers that have been prayed in this land. We thank you for the men and women who have prayed and are down through the centuries and have called on that name. Lord, we thank you even the Irish constitution 
acknowledges the Lord Jesus Christ. Our constitution acknowledges Jesus Christ. Let this people once again turn from their sin and turn to Christ. Let this people honor the living God in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Let Christ be honored through this land. Let Christ be honored through this land. And we thank you for this flag, Lord, that not only has green, it has orange, Lord God, and it has quite in between symbolic of peace between Catholic and Protestant, peace between North and South, that Christ, you are the Prince of Peace. Let your peace be enthroned in this land and let this nation be an example to the nations, Lord, that the peace of Christ will once again be enthroned in this nation, that men and women will once again honor the Lord Jesus Christ, that men and women will once again call and lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In Jesus' name, let freedom come to this land, Lord. You brought freedom through Patrick as he brought this message of Christ. Lord, let that freedom come once again as we call on your name. We call on your name for Ireland, Lord God. We call on your name for Ireland, Lord God. We call on your name, save the Irish, Lord God. Open the eyes of the Irish to the gospel. Open the eyes, open the hearts of this people to Jesus Christ, that people will not settle, Lord God, for paganism. They will not settle just for dead religion or traditions or rituals, but that people will truly encounter the living God through his word. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Lord, let your breath, hallelujah, breathe on those dry bones. In the name of Jesus, breathe on those dry bones, Lord. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Oh, Father God, let your blood cleanse this nation from its sin. Oh, Lord, grant us repentance from our sin. Oh, Lord, turn the hearts of the people. Lord, you turn the heart of Saul. You turn the heart of Nebuchadnezzar to you, Lord God. Oh, in Jesus' name, turn the hearts of this people to you. In the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Just sing that. Hallelujah. Come on. Just begin to sing right now. Christ is enough. Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough.
accepted Jesus as your Savior, this is your moment. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, just pray this prayer with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in my heart that you were born of a virgin. I believe that you lived a perfect life. And that when you died on the cross, you died in my place, bearing my sin and shame. into my life Lord Jesus Christ and forgive me of my sins I accept you as my Lord and Savior thank you Jesus for saving me come on give a shout of praise to the Lord hallelujah oh hallelujah I have decided come on I have decided somebody pray with you we love you we bless you and uh, hallelujah I believe God is going to do glorious things in this nation amen you know this flag which to some was a symbol of hate I believe is going to bring hope to so many people because we're taking back our identity we're taking back our destiny in Jesus name amen we're taking back our destiny our destiny is to take the gospel to the nations. Our destiny is to worship the living God, to serve His purposes. Hallelujah. We're going to lift the name of Jesus high as
there's a banner over this land in Jesus name Jesus Christ is the high king of Ireland and we're going to serve him and that's why we sing I have decided hallelujah